Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. We have been in this series, Living on a Prayer, uh, where we talked about the Shema, right? Right. Love the Lord. Hear, O Israel, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I have I've enjoyed that. Has anyone else enjoyed that, that first ser- series about the Shema? It's really good. And so, and so now this is, this is part two, right? So living on the prayer still, but this is, this is part two. Pray about everything. And so now that we've talked about the Shema, now that we've, we've centered ourselves, right, on loving the Lord with all that we have, and so then now we have an opportunity to pray about everything because, because when the Bible says things like pray without ceasing, now that we're in a position to where we know what it means to love the Lord with everything that we have, now when it comes to praying without ceasing, that makes more sense when we're thinking about our mind, when we're thinking about our bodies and our will and our heart and all those things coming together. It's not now out of the question to think about that. Like, oh, how can I pray without ceasing? Oh, I'm doing it because I'm loving the Lord with everything that, that we have. When the Bible says things like, uh, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you, right? What he's saying is, hey, you ask anything according to my will, my purpose, my plan. And so now after looking at the Shema and, and, and realigning and recentering ourselves, that now now makes sense, right? Oh, yes, because we love the Lord with everything that we have. Yes, ask anything in his name, and we know it'll be given. So now that we've done that, we've established the foundation. We've established the posture and the position of our hearts. Now we're going to move on to this idea that, hey, we can we can pray about everything. And so today, I have the pleasure of just convincing you to abstain from everything you enjoy. Um, that's my that's my task today. As we talk about fasting and prayer and those two things together, but I promise you, it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I, I promise. So, uh, but let me pray before we get started, and then we'll dive in. Lord, we're just so grateful. We're grateful for the sun that's shining through the windows and the warmth that we feel on our skin. We're just grateful for uh, man the joy and the celebration and the chance that we get to worship you here today. And Lord, now we also come to this moment where we may have been through some things, may have encountered some things, and we need you today. We need to experience you, Lord. We need to, we need to hear from you. And so, Lord, we just pray that, Lord, that you would show up. May you manifest your presence. May we have an awareness of your presence. May we encounter the living God here today. So, Lord, would you prepare the hearts for your people and, Lord, what it is that you have to say to them. But we need you today. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so listen. So we're talking about fasting and prayer. So normally when you talk about prayer, you're talking about um, a thing, you're praying, but then also some things that can result in prayer, right? And so, like, I'm excited for uh, next week, I think, uh, Bria's going to talk about prayer as it relates to healing, right? So, so we, we, we pray, and then as a result of our prayers, we hope that we can experience healing. This is just as an example. And so, but, but when you're talking about prayer and fasting, what you have there, you have, you have two disciplines, two spiritual disciplines combined together that we engage in as we are seeking to grow spiritually, right? And, and also with these, you can, you can pray without fasting. That, that can happen, and that, that's, that's permissible. That, that's quite in line with, with the way things can go. But, but you can't fast without praying, right? 
those two things, those things have to go together um, and looking forward to diving into it today. So when I'm talking about fasting, here's what I'm talking about. Fasting is this, this voluntary process of abstaining from food, right, or, or other certain activities for a specific period of time for a spiritual reason. And so many of us in the room, I'm aware that, that we probably have varying experiences with fasting, right? Uh, some of us that may have been a part of how we grew up or even our tradition in church, our journey in Christ, others of us fasting has not necessarily been a part of, of what we have done. And so some of that is because uh, we don't see the necessity of fasting and, or, or we don't value the experience that, that fasting provides us today. So as a result, I just want to highlight just some, some common misconceptions that we may have when it comes to fasting. And then hopefully by the end of the sermon, we've addressed a lot of these. So the first misconception is that fasting is a way to earn God's favor or blessings. That's one, right? Another misconception is, <clears throat> so God's more likely to answer my prayers, right, as it relates to my, me fasting. So the first two really have to do with this idea that, hey, I am going to manipulate God based on my sacrifice for what I do. So because I fast, because I afflict myself, Lord, I expect you to show up, right? That's what those first two deal with. That's not how it works. We'll, we'll get more into, into that, right? Fasting only for the spiritual elites or religious leaders, right? So me as a pastor, of course, I'm going to fast. This is what I'm going to do. But I'm going to just let you know I'm no different than you guys. I'm just trying to be with Jesus, Right? I'm just trying to experience my relationship with him. And so there's nothing necessarily different about me than your experience. There's nothing that separates me, right? So, so that's not a thing as well. And then also fasting relates only to, to food, right? And so uh, we'll talk about that later. So these are some misconceptions. These are some things even may you maybe even have believed as it relates to fasting. Um, and, and hopefully at some point we'll, we'll dive into those things, right? And so, but listen, as I was thinking in, preparing for this. I understand. So fasting deals with some things that are unseen, right? It deals with some things that are in the, the unseen realm, and it can be hard to, to grasp, and it's not very tangible. It can be hard for us to understand, but I'm going to uh, attempt today to make the thing that's unseen, to make the thing that's intangible, tangible for us and very concrete for us today, right, for our understanding and as we, we move on in our relationship with Jesus. So that's what we hope will happen today. So when it comes to fasting, uh, there's many churches in this season, at the beginning of the year, many churches together as a family, they decide that, hey, uh, as, we, as we bring in the new year, fasting is what we do. Fasting and prayer is what we engage in. So, so many churches engage in that. Um, we are coming upon the season of Lent, right, that 40 days Prior to Easter, fasting is also associated with that. We also see fasting throughout Scripture. Um, David fasted, right, um, asking the Lord to intervene when there was injustice. Nehemiah, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, Nehemiah trying to build the wall. He fasted before approaching the king of Persia to ask him permission to, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And you have Jesus, of course, he fasted. Before his ministry, and even as the early church, right, the early church fasted as they committed their ministry to um, the Lord, as also when they were appointing certain leaders in the church. And so fasting is not uncommon. We see it all throughout um, the Bible. And so today what I want to do, and what I hope to do, is I want to just talk about two reasons why, two reasons why we should engage in fasting and prayer. 
two reasons why we should engage in fasting and prayer. The first reason is this. Uh, fasting leads to an experience of God's presence, okay? So we're going we're gonna to be in the book of Matthew. It's, it's going to be on the screen, um, but also there should be a Bible nearby. If you don't have one, you want to read the, the physical pages. Matthew 9, um, we're going to begin first in verses 14 through 17. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. So we're going, to be, we're going to look at two accounts in Matthew, so just so you know. And then we're going to go to Romans 7 and 8, okay, just so you kind of, kind of can prepare your, your, your minds for that. So but we're going to start out right now. Matthew 9, verses 14 through 17. It says this, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into new wineskins. If, if it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed, but new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. So here's what we have today. So you have you have the, the disciples of John, right? John had disciples, and at the time, John was in prison uh, at the time that they're encountering Jesus. So John had disciples. So John came to prepare the way of the Messiah. And, and, and in doing so, right, he had people that, that came up with him. They were, they were his disciples. And normally uh, what, what John was preparing the way for had already come in Jesus. But, but evidently you got some disciples that say, no, we're going we're gonna to stick with John. We're going to continue the way of John. So you have those disciples, and then they come to Jesus, and they're, and they're saying, hey, why don't your disciples fast? The Pharisees fast, and we fast. So some context. And so when it comes to fasting, uh, there's only one day uh, that, that is called or required in the law of Moses to fast, and that's on the day of atonement. So, so it's not like it, when it comes to the law of Moses that it, it's a requirement to fast, or that fasting is a big deal. It was just one day where it was required, but, but what you see is, uh, man, over the years, uh, some of these rituals began to get picked up and they began to get established. And also we see that, that in the Old Testament, when they fasted, they fasted for a few reasons, right? They would fast if there was grief and loss, and they were mourning, they would fast uh, for the repentance of their sins and, and so that they would be uh, forgiven. And then they would also fast so that, that God would intervene, right? And so you have the disciples of John fasting. You have the Pharisees. They would fast twice a week, right, with their extra selves. And so they had all this fasting. And so, but then you got the disciples, right, earlier in Matthew, which you find is the, Jesus is calling uh, the Matthew to be a disciple, and he's with his other tax collector buddies, and, and he's also with sinners, and, and they are feasting. And so, uh, so the people are confused. It's like, yo, we're, we're fasting, but we see the disciples, and, and it looks like, man, they are kicking it. And they're kicking it with the crew, with the tax collectors and the, and the sinners, and they're feasting, and they're looking at them and what they do. And they're like, but, but I'm fasting, though. Like, I'm afflicted on behalf of the Lord. Why, why is there these, these two different pictures? And so... So Jesus, he answers them, and he, and, and he turns to this illustration that God uses in the Old Testament, right? Here's how God related to his people 
in the Old Testament. God would say, hey, you, you are my bride, right? And then, and then I am the husband. And so, so much so, this was so ingrained that, that whenever the people of Israel would, would serve or worship other idols, right, um, they would call it, it would be referred to in Scripture as adultery, right? So this theme of, of marriage and brides and grooms, the Lord is using it to reveal himself and a little bit about how we should relate to him um, as our God, as our, as our groom, so to speak. And so, so when Jesus is saying here that, hey, the bridegroom is here, Jesus is saying that, like, he, he's saying something about himself. He's saying, hey, God has come to earth. He's saying, I am God in the flesh. I am the Son of God here living amongst you. And, then, and as long as I'm here, as long as the bridegroom is here, um, it doesn't make any sense for my disciples to fast. So when we think about weddings, I think about weddings here, at least in America, right? Um, you, you have a, a, a wedding ceremony that, that really isn't very long for the most part, right? You, you, you do all the things, and, 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 and I now pronounce your husband and wife. That doesn't take very long, typically. And then depending on how you set it up, then you got to wait forever for the party to take pictures. Oh, my gosh. I'll be... I'm at the reception spot, like, can y'all come on? Like, how many pictures y'all take? Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, so then you have, you know, then you have the reception, which is, you know, depending on, but, but the reception may be a couple hours, a couple three, depending on how much alcohol is there. You know, I'm just saying, keep it real, right? You know how it is. See? So you have the reception, right? But, but what I'm saying is, but, but that's how we typically would experience weddings, right? And so, but, but for them, they would, they would have the ceremony, but then uh, instead of going off to do a honeymoon, which is, what, which, which is what typically happens here, they continue, the thing that we experience in our reception, they continue that thing for days and sometimes weeks, right? And like, like I think about our reception, uh, for, for my wife and I, like, like till this day, it was the best party I've ever been to, right? I'm just telling you, the food was, was scrumptious, right? We had, we had the best DJ in Kansas City, one of my boys, DJ Q. He was spilling up on the ones and twos. We was, we was dancing. And see, this day, it was literally the best party I've ever experienced was at our own wedding. But just imagine that same experience day after day after day after day. But that's what they experienced. And so this was, this was the wedding feast, and so what Jesus is saying is he's uh, relating his presence as being the wedding. Hey, I am here. Hey, we are feasting. We are in the, in the wedding feast, and it doesn't make any sense while we are feasting for us to fast. So that, here's what he's saying. So, so he switches. So whether or not we fast is, is now contingent upon his presence, which is different than what it was before. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm completely changing the game. So, so that's why he uses those other two illustrations about you don't put an unshrunk cloth on, on a shrunken cloth. It's going to tear. You don't put new wine in the, in the old wineskins. It's going to tear. So he's, he's saying, I am completely changing the game. We're going to continue to fast. Don't get it twisted. But it's going to be different. We are going to fast because we have tasted uh, the kingdom of God and um, it is good, and we desire that more than anything. And also because you didn't necessarily need to fast anymore for mourning. 
You didn't necessarily need to fast anymore for God to intervene because the most significant way for the Lord to intervene in our lives was going to be accomplished in the life, in the work, in the death, in Jesus rising, on the, uh, rising from the dead, in his life and work on the cross, right? Everything that we needed, the most significant deliverance we needed was already accomplished in what Jesus did. We have the Holy Spirit as our, as our comforter. We, we don't need to fast for the forgiveness of sins because Jesus already died for our sins, right? We, we don't need for him to intervene necessarily. We don't need to fast for that because we have a covenant relationship with the Lord and we know that he's already working things out for our good, for our benefit, and for our flourishing in the new covenant. So fasting does not necessarily need to happen to accomplish those things because of what Jesus was going to do. So we changed the game. And again, so we fast because we've tasted the kingdom, right? And that is what we want to experience. You fast so we can experience the presence of God. So real quick, there's a, there's a quote from a guy named A.W. Tozer. He said it this way. I just like what he said. Really simple, but real profound. Nothing in or of this world measures up to the simple pleasure of experiencing the presence of God. Of God. There's nothing, there's nothing here, or there's nothing that we can be of in this world that equates to the pleasure that we experience when we experience the presence of God. Okay, so real quick, I just told you guys I was from Kansas City, okay? Um, so being from Kansas City, one of those things Kansas City is known for, we're known for our, our barbecue, okay? Um, and listen, I just want to get some things out the way. Um, so when it comes to barbecue, you know, people ask me about sauces and brisket and ribs and, and all that kind of stuff. Is it vinegar-based or what, what other things, sauces-based? I don't, I don't understand any of that. I don't have a sophisticated palate, okay? I didn't even know what a palate was till I married my wife, okay? You understand what I'm saying? These things are new to me. Is it good or not, right? That's all I'm concerned with, right? And, so, so, and, I, and I'm not saying that there's not good barbecue in other places, because I don't want y'all getting mad at me or anybody from Texas or Tennessee. I don't want anybody getting offended right now, or even people that feel like there's some good barbecue in Illinois. I'm not saying there's not good barbecue. Here's what I'm saying. Let me, let me kind of just paint the picture for you real quick, okay? So in Kansas City, you got Gates. You got Jack Stack. You got Joe's Kansas City. You got Q39. And all of these places have multiple locations. It's abundant. I can go to many different establishments and get some amazing barbecue, and I just absolutely take it for granted. Okay? And then that doesn't even mention the hole-in-the-wall establishments. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean uh, uh, take into account Big T's or uh, 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 LC's barbecue, where they give you a whole loaf of bread with your barbecue, or, 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 or slaps, right? It, it doesn't include those places. And by the way, just so you know, um, you will not find my wife in any of those establishments. Because so, I was in the hood, she don't find me, you know. We, we, we've lived two <laughs> I love you, babe, I'm sorry. But she, she ain't going to the... Andrew... <laughs> Andrew would call me sometime and be like, where you at? I'm like, girl, you don't know I'm in the hood. Like, it, like it, just wouldn't, it just wouldn't, me telling you the street names just wouldn't matter. Okay. So, I'll bring it back. Okay. So, what I'm saying is, because of um, the barbecue that I've tasted in Kansas City, and because of um, what, I, I, what, I, what I've had a chance to experience there, so when I come to other places and I travel, uh, and there may be barbecue, 
but I'm not tempted, not even one bit, to, to eat barbecue here. I'm just letting you know that right now. Um, because even if there are good establishments, I'm not even going to put in the work to do it. Like, I'm not even going to endure the nasty barbecue to get to the good barbecue. I'm just not going to do it. So I'm not, I'm not even tempted. Why? Because of what I've already tasted, right? I've already tasted something so good, so fulfilling, so satisfying, that why would I want to waste my time with something um, that's not going to fulfill me in the same way? And so, so we're talking about the presence of God. So I've experienced the presence of God, right? And so, and I understand. So God is, listen, again, I want to make this tangible for you. God is invisible. So when you say to somebody that, that you've experienced the presence of God, it don't always make sense. How, right? I, I mean, everything else, I can go and experience it. But when it comes to experiencing God, like, what does that look like and how? And so, and so when I say I've experienced the presence of God, like, here's, and, and also let me also bring some more clarity. God is everywhere. So it's not like that, that I'm in places and, like, I'm experiencing God in places where he's not. God is everywhere. And then as a believer, um, we all have God's spirit inside of us. And so I just want to, I just want to, want to uh, cover that as well, just for, for clarity's sake. But, but when I experience God, it, it, it manifests itself in ways like this. So, so when I experience God in his presence, right, I have more of the ability to deny um, my flesh. I have more of the ability to say, flesh, you will submit to what I want you to do. You will do and not do what I say you will do and not do, right? That's when I experience the presence of God. When I experience the presence of God, I have the ability to love the people around me more. There's moments when I'm short and I'm irritable and I'm like, oh, I got to go get in the presence of God because, because this is not how I want to live my life. And so when I'm experiencing the presence of God, I hear his, his voice. And no, it's not an audible voice, but, but, but sometimes, I got a witness somewhere in the room, sometimes um, I have thoughts in my mind that aren't my thoughts. These aren't my original thoughts, and the way I know they're not my original thoughts is because if I don't capture them, if I don't write them down, and I try to recall what, the, what was being said to me in my mind, I cannot even remember. I cannot even remanufacture those same thoughts. So I experience his presence. He's speaking to me. He's giving me thoughts that I know are not original to me. Sometimes when I experience the presence of God, I, I come alive in a certain way that I can't produce in and of myself, there's nothing that I can do in this world that can make me come alive in the way that I do when I experience the presence of God. Sometimes, this you may have experienced this, where, where you know the Lord wants you to do something out of obedience. Hey, go say something to that person. Go, go give in this way. Just, just, just be obedient. You're like, hey, this doesn't make any sense, Lord, but, but I'm going to go do it anyway. And then you go do it, only to find out. That the Lord was working on this end too. And the very thing that you did answered a prayer for somebody else. Anybody had that happen to them, right? In that moment, you're experiencing the presence of the Lord. Sometimes when I'm reading the Bible or I'm in devotional time and I'm reading his word or sometimes when I'm, when I'm worshiping, right? Out of nowhere, and I know it's coming too, I just get overcome with emotion. And I start crying and snot everything and I just begin to unprompted. I'm just praising the Lord. Sometimes it happens in the car and I'm in the car driving, hands lifted, music turned up and in the back of my mind, right, because I'm, I'm praising them, but I'm like, what would it be like for the person that's not in the car and they're seeing me do this? I'm just I'm like, thank you Jesus. Oh, thank you Lord. Hallelujah. Like, just imagine seeing that you don't have any context of what's going on, right? But your hands, your hands are lifted. I know I'm not the only one. It's okay. But listen, 
that's when I'm experiencing the presence of God. And when that's my experience, the refrain of my soul is, God, you are so good. Talking about his presence. Over the years, um, over the years, people have maybe expressed some admiration at some level about them witnessing my life and how I live my life for the Lord. But here's how I feel about that, right? I, I can't really take any credit because what the, what the Lord has done, he's allowed me to experience him. And then he's also allowed me to understand the, the destruction and the futility of my ways. And so once I come into that knowledge, it's like it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't make any sense for me not to uh, pursue the presence of the Lord, right? And so I can just clearly see that, that he is better. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says this. He says, indeed, I count everything as a loss. Everything. Because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all those things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. We're talking about his presence. I can stay there the rest of the time, but I got I got a second point, so I got to keep moving. So, so the first reason why we should fast and pray is so that we can experience his presence. The second reason, we want to fast because fasting can lead um, to, to breakthrough. So let me say a few things about a breakthrough. Breakthrough is an act or an instance of moving through or beyond an obstacle, okay? So this obstacle, uh, man, it could be addiction. Addiction to sex, drugs, alcohol, Sucks. We can cover the spectrum. We can even throw video games in there, whatever it is. No judgment, right? So it could be an addiction. Could be you managing your emotions. Maybe you're someone that's, that's maybe crippled by sadness or you're crippled by, by your anger. Could be you having the ability to control your tongue. Maybe you just have a, a, a lying spirit or, or maybe you, you just can't stop using profanity, like, like whatever it is. Or maybe you have the inability to control your thoughts, but whatever it is, um, you, can, you continue to, you, to live in this way, and you understand that that's not what you want to do. You don't want any part of it, but the problem is you do everything within your power, but it doesn't fix it, right? That, that's the obstacle. Or you may um, be facing a, a high-stakes decision. You have a decision to make, and you need, you need wisdom, and you need guidance as far as what to do. Or you could just be going through a really difficult situation. And you just need his strength to get you through. Whatever the obstacle is, the breakthrough happens when you're able to overcome that thing um, and, and, then, and then get the victory and the resolution um, at the end of it. So that, that's, the, that's the breakthrough, right? So we're going to look at an instance where, where someone needed a breakthrough in Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17. So we'll go there quickly. Matthew 17. We're going to look at verses 14 through 21. It says this, <clears throat> um, and when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is uh, an epileptic and he suffers terribly. Uh, for often he falls into the fire and often into water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And, and Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was, was healed instantly. 
Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast out? Uh, why could we not cast it out? Excuse me. He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So listen, so, so you have um, the disciples, uh, and this guy comes to him, this, this father, his son, is having seizures, and, and, and he goes to the disciples to, to, to essentially to, to heal his son. We didn't know at the time that it was, you know, there was a demon involved, but they just wanted his son to be healed. And so the disciples, they have experience, right? So if you remember, right, you can look in, in uh, <clears throat> Luke 10 where Jesus sends out the 72 and he gives them the ability to cast out demons. And so, and if you remember, they come back, celebrate, Lord, we, we used your name and the demons left and they were excited. And Jesus said, don't be excited about that. Be excited about the fact that you know me and you, your name is in the book of life, all those kinds of things, right? So, so they have experience. They've been successful with casting out demons, but for whatever reason, and in this instance, you have a man who took his son to the right people. He took his son to the right place. But those people couldn't solve the problem. And so nothing that they did could, could uh, result in this son being healed. And so you have the disciples where they are experiencing an obstacle, right, that they cannot overcome in and of themselves. And so, but then you have when they encounter Jesus, Jesus said, okay, here's what happens. This kind, though, the fact that there are different kinds is a whole different situation. But this kind, this demon, doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting, right? So listen, so let's get some greater context. We're going to go to Paul to help us understand why fasting and prayer was necessary in that situation. So Paul, Paul also was in a situation where he needed a breakthrough, right? Some of you may be familiar with, with Paul's discourse in Romans chapter 7. Romans seven eighteen says this, it says, Paul said, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I did not do the good that I want, but the evil I do, I do not want, is what I keep doing, right? So number one, we have Paul. Number one, <clears throat> probably the most relatable text for me in Paul, because in the other verse, he's like, yo, to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? So, so finally, in this instance, I can relate to my boy Paul, because he said, I got this issue because, because the very thing I want to do, I can't do, and the thing that I, that I do want to do, I can't because it's something that's living inside of me and so on and so forth. And so Paul has an issue. Paul has an obstacle that he can't fix it, right? And Paul is in need of a breakthrough. And so, but if you go to chapter 8, if you go to the next chapter, you see where it was that Paul got his breakthrough. As we look at chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, where it says this. <clears throat> I'm sorry, let me back up. This isn't included. In verse 4, look at what he says here. Paul, Paul gets his breakthrough in verse 4 when it says this. It says, um, it says, in order that the righteousness, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, right? Us as those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, right? So Paul is saying, hey, listen, I got this issue and my behavior is not what I want it to be. I keep doing things I don't want to do. In the verse 4, Romans 8 the righteous requirement, in order to live righteously, in order for Paul to live the way that he's, that he's trying to live, 
it's, he discovers that it's in those who walk according not to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So in other words, Paul did not have the ability to behave in the way that he wanted, but he found the, him having the ability to do and to behave in the way that he wanted through the spirit. Okay, that translates to power. When you have the ability in one instance to do what you can do in another instance, you have gained access to a level of power that we see is associated with the Spirit. And by the way, later on in, in, in chapter 8, it talks about the fact that the same Spirit that's in us is the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead. Okay? So you got to understand that. So, so Paul is saying, oh, I gain access to this power that gives me greater ability when I can live by the Spirit that's inside of me. And then he goes to verses 5 and 6 and kind of lets us know, okay, then how do I then gain access then to this power that I didn't have before? He says this, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So that phrase there, set, set their mind on, right, that phrase, what he's saying is, is it's to pursue those things. So it's not just what you think. It's to pursue those things uh, that gratify the flesh. So you can read it differently. For those who live according to the flesh, set, uh, pursue those things that gratify the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, pursue the things that gratify the spirit. Paul also talks about this aspect in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8 says this, For the one who sows to his own flesh will, will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will, so, uh, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Excuse me. So, so listen, so let's go back to Jesus and the disciples with this, with this encounter. Let's kind of connect all the dots here. So when Jesus says to the disciples, when they try to cast out the demon, but they can't, and Jesus says, hey, this one only comes out by prayer and fasting. What he's saying is that um, in order to cast this demon out, you have to access a level of power that you don't have personally access to in order to, to cast this out. You have to, to access something that you don't possess. You have to access the power of the spirit that's inside of you. And one of the ways that we do that, right, one of the ways that we, we do things that gratify the spirit, right, is to pray and to fast. When we fast and we pray, we are not satisfying the flesh. We are weakening the flesh and we are strengthening the spirit. So fasting is one of the ways that we gratify the spirit. So here's, so here's what I'll say to kind of sum all that up uh, for us. The way that we choose to live our lives is not without consequence, okay? We can't be on autopilot. We can't be asleep at the wheel. We can't be unintentional about the things that, that we um, engage in because you can't live your life pursuing things that gratify the flesh and then you expect to experience God's presence and breakthrough in your life. You can't, you, you can't do it, right? 
Because what's happening is you, you, you're, you're building this monster, right? And, and, and you're feeding the flesh and it gets more control. It gets, it gets more power. It gets, it gets more uh, a strength within you. And you have a more difficult time managing this thing. But here's what happens. Here's where it gets dangerous. But by the time you realize that, that oh, man, I don't have control. You realize that, oh, my fleshly, uh, me gratifying the flesh is actually leading to my destruction. You then begin to realize, that, oh, like, oh, no, this, this, this lifestyle and the things that I'm doing is leading me to peril. And then all of a sudden you want to cry out to the Lord to help. But it's like, Doc, you've been feeding the flesh the entire time, so what do you expect will happen? You understand what I'm saying? So listen, and, and, and in this room, I know that right now there's things that, that we're facing and we're pleading with God to take care of. Lord, take this away from me. Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be like this. I don't want to behave like this. And we're asking God to fix you. We're asking God, God, fix me. But the entire time the Lord is saying to you, I've already answered your prayers when Jesus died on the cross. The thing is, we now have to live a life where we say no to gratifying the flesh and also say yes to gratifying the spirit so that we can experience the power that we need for the breakthrough that we need to overcome the obstacles that we have. Our victory is dependent on us doing what we need to do to gain access to the power to fix our situation. And real quick, and it kills me when people are like, man, I, I, I've tried everything. I asked the Lord to take it away from me, and he didn't take it away, so I'm going to just keep doing it. We use the fact that the Lord didn't take it away and just automatically fix you as an excuse to continue to keep living our sinful lives, right? And it's like, Doc, if you haven't cultivated the Spirit, you can't expect that thing to change. The Lord is the one that created this life in the way it's supposed to be lived. The Lord is the one that created the way that we're supposed to experience the Spirit. And if we don't do that, we just can't expect to experience His power. We can't expect to experience His presence. And so listen, there's, there's a lot that we can talk to when it comes to um, fasting and all these things and how we do this. But, but I want to keep it, I want to keep it simple. And I just, for the most part, just want to launch you into a journey. This is not going to be exhaustive on fasting. I just want to launch you into a journey when you ask yourself the question, okay, how can I live a life in a rhythm with Jesus where, where fasting and prayer is, is a part of it, right? So here's what I would suggest to you. Uh, man, is there, is there a, a two, uh, a two meal block in the day um, man, once a week where you would say, uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to eat these two meals. Uh, and, and I'm going to, I'll eat the third, but I'm not going to eat these two. Whatever, whatever two meals may be the best for you, right? Would you consider once a week, man, can I just say for these two meals, I'm not going to do it. And in, and in that time, uh, I'm going to be fasting during that time. Uh, or um, if fasting is something that you can't do from food because of something health-wise, uh, maybe there's other things that you can fast from that has the same effect, right? So think about whatever it is that you turn to to quiet the internal dissonance that's going on inside of your body. Whatever it is that you're trying to escape from, whatever you turn to to escape from that, right? Um, could be food, could be watching TV, could be, could be social media. Like, you know your story. Um, choose that thing to say, hey, once a week, I'm gonna choose uh, for a day to not engage in this thing so I can dedicate time uh, to fasting and praying. And so that whenever that happens, whenever your, whenever your stomach 
um, is getting hungry and you're getting irritable, you understand, like, okay, I'm going to re remove this thing and I'm going to lean into the presence of God. I'm going to lean into prayer. I'm going to lean into uh, pursuing his presence. And you need to make sure that you have a plan for what that other thing is. So, so figure out how you're going to fast and then have a plan for what that is, that, that scripture, that, that, that text, or those prayers. So you want to have a plan for, for what that's like. And then over a period of time, what you will find is you will find that things will change as it relates to, to how you experience Jesus and his presence. And so, so as I close, I'll just, I'll just say this. When you hear the term breakthrough, sometimes you, you uh, picture this, this sudden experience, right? A breakthrough, you feel like it happens suddenly, happens very fast, as if you're, you're breaking through a wall. But as far as our transformation goes, our transformation for the most part, our breakthrough for the most part happens over a period of time. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help you manage your expectations because I don't want you to come here saying, Leonard, I fasted, then nothing happened. No, 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 no. Help you manage your expectations. It happens over a period of time. So we give ourselves to certain practices, to certain disciplines, to certain acts, right? To certain behaviors. Um, and, then, and then over time, as we do those very normal, mundane things, the Lord is transforming us in the process. And so we, we're right to say yes to submitting to those things because we're trusting that the Lord um, is working and molding and shaping us all along as, as we do those things, right? So the Christian life is saying, yes, I'm going to fast, right? I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to abstain. I'm going to say no to my flesh. And then at some point, what we're going to find out, and then expecting a breakthrough the entire time. And then we look up, and then we realize, like, oh, man, I'm different, than I used to be. The Lord has changed me. He's molded me and he shaped me. And now what, what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I am a new creation. And you may experience things now that five years would have crushed you. And that's a result of the Lord, if you're experiencing a breakthrough in your life because of those natural, those, those, those regular, ordinary, mundane things. And so, so if you do this and you're not seeing results or you're not experiencing what you, what you feel like you should experience, I'm just saying to you, man, you have to build up your strength. You have to build up your stamina. You have to build up your capacity to experience the Lord. So if it's not what you want it to be, I'm just saying stay steadfast. Keep moving uh, because the Lord is working on your uh, behalf. So we can stand up. We're about to go. So as, as you leave and you're thinking about, man, this, this aspect of prayer, right? Prayer and fasting, these two things together. And when you're weighing the, the cost of like, oh, is this going to be a sermon that I'm going to be in here and say, oh, man, that was good. Pastor, or, he did a good job. Or you might be like, ah, he was decent. Um, he should have wore his chief's jersey, whatever it is. Whatever you may be thinking as you leave today, right? I'll just ask you this question. Man, do you want to experience God's presence in your life? Do you want a level of intimacy with the Father? Intimacy with the one that created you. 
intimacy with the one who, who knows the number of hairs that's on your head? Do you want to have an experience of his presence more frequently and more powerfully in your life? Then I want to encourage you to build into your rhythm, this, this rhythm of fasting and praying, denying yourself, starving the flesh, and leaning into his presence so that you can experience his, his power. And then, and then can we be honest, speaking of his power, can you be honest? Can we be honest about the areas of our lives where we might be in bondage? Can we be honest about the areas of our life that we, we know need to change, where we know we need to be different, where we know that what we're doing is leading us to destruction and we want to change? Can we be honest about the areas in our life where we need to experience his power? And if that's you, then I would say, man, would you consider taking up this rhythm of fasting and praying? There's no better experience than the presence of God. And, and, and I, we, I, joke about, I joke about the chiefs and all those kind of things, but you have to understand, there are people whose whole lives are built around. There's people I see on social media in Kansas City, I'm like, I know you, ain't, I ain't trying to be in people's pockets and everything, but I know you ain't got it like that, Doc. Like, I know what those tickets cost. I know what it costs to live that lifestyle for you to be at every game for real. And you're searching for it. That's not it. The presence of God, though. Right? Do you want that? So just take the time to figure out in your rhythm and your time with the Lord, how do you incorporate this into your life so you can experience him to a greater degree? Let me pray. Lord, we, God, we're, but I'm just thinking about when you told the disciples that it's better that I leave. And I thank you because now we have the presence of your spirit in us. And Lord, for myself and for everyone here, I just pray for a holy discontentment. We're discontent with what this world has to offer us. We're discontent with, with the fruit of our actions and our behavior. Lord, I just pray for a discontentment where, where there's an absence of your presence. Lord, I pray that there would be a hunger and a desire for your presence. Like the Psalm, Psalmist David said, as a deer pants for water, so do I long for your presence. Lord, may that be our experience. And Lord, for those that may be experiencing an obstacle that they cannot overcome, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we just pray that it would rise up in them. We just pray that they would have a, an experience of you that they hadn't had before. We just pray that they would begin to have the ability to do things that they've never had the ability to do before. And that they would have a more powerful experience of you in their daily lives. Lord, manifest your presence in our lives. Lord, give us the power to fulfill the righteous requirement of our covenant relationship with you. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need your power, your presence, and your spirit. In the name of Jesus, may we be people that live lives of victory, not defeat. Because we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. We thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us here defenseless and without weapons, but that you empowered us with your, with your spirit, Lord, to encounter and to deal with the things we face on a daily basis, Lord. We need you. 
bless us with an experience of your presence and your power that we may be victorious and witnesses to this entire world of your majesty and your goodness and your love for your people. And so, Lord, we thank you and we love you and we worship you today. We're proud of these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.